Hello, and welcome to the Keepers of the Flame podcast. This is a show to shine a light into the darkness, to empower women, their support networks, and our communities to weather breast cancer, because together we weather the storm. But on this ocean, every wave brings you closer to home. And no matter what you think, you are never alone. Hello and welcome to Keepers of the Flame podcast, where together we weather the storm. I'm Joyce Williams, your host, and this is episode number four, the emotional wounds that accompany breast cancer and healing from them. In this episode, we're going to talk about that hidden and sometimes silent wound that accompanies this diagnosis of breast cancer. We all know that battling breast cancer is physically exhausting, and we often acquire those physical wounds. We have scars, neuropathy, lymphedema, bone pain. We have brain fog, hair loss, fatigue, the list is endless. But in addition to these marks, there are also those emotional wounds that inevitably accompany a diagnosis as well. In this episode, we aim to let women know two things. One, You are not alone with these emotional wounds. This is part of that cancer journey. It's just a part that hasn't been talked about nearly enough. I have had women tell me that they thought that they were the only ones. And y'all, that's just not true. The emotional scars may manifest differently from one patient to the next. But the fact that they are there is definitely a common point. So yes, A, it's a thing. And then B, what do you do about it? To discuss some of these emotional wounds and how to handle them, we have a very special guest with us today, Ashley Moore. Ashley is a marriage and family therapist in Pooler, Georgia. She's the owner and therapist at Building Blocks Family Counseling, and she and her colleagues created a special curriculum. The course that they created is called Making Lemonade, and it is a curriculum that's designed specifically for breast cancer patients, those that are currently undergoing treatment for survivors and for those living with stage four metastatic breast cancer. The purpose of this course is to teach women the strategies and tools needed in order to tend to those emotional wounds and to push forward and to live their best lives possible. Thank you for coming and talking with us here today, Ashley. We are very happy to have you here, so thank you. You're welcome. One thing that we're trying to make sure everybody understands is that emotional healing from trauma is just as real as those physical healing that's required. Oftentimes, I was talking to other women that were diagnosed, and there seems to be, I mean, there's the physical trials, and there seems to be a lot of scaffolding that is in place. People know, okay, well, you're diagnosed with breast cancer, so now you have to see the breast surgeon, and then you go through that hurdle, and then they send you to the next person. And even though it's hard and it is emotionally draining, there seems to be this set of steps that people are put through and they they know what to expect. But with the emotional aspect, which is just as real, oftentimes women, they're just not expecting it and they think that they're the only ones. And then when it does hit, they just don't know what to do about it. So I'm really excited to have you here and get the licensed therapist's perspective on some of this stuff and what to do about it. Why do you suppose that people are so hesitant to talk about this aspect of healing? I think from what I've kind of gathered just talking to different people, they they 
don't it's like we don't talk amongst ourselves about it so then they feel like they're the only one so i think they feel really isolated too right about just the physical part but also then the emotional part that comes with it and so i think that in itself can be really you know where you don't share some of those other things because you think no one else is going to really understand yeah that emotional part and then i think the second thing about that is then realizing that there is that emotional piece and then how to deal with it with the circumstance that you have. So like you now have the diagnosis and then whatever that treatment looks like for you and then dealing with that emotionally in addition to your everyday life that comes up if you have kids and other things or then the whole other bigger aspect of then dealing emotionally with your own kind of mortality and kind of that issue too. So it's like several different layers that end up coming up for people and just how to deal with it while you're also then going through this physical pain kind of too is kind of hard to navigate, I think, for a lot of people. That's one thing that was um, true across the board is that when I talk to a lot of survivors, Mm. is just the idea that when something like this happened, it's, it's different than other adversity that's hit you in your life. This is just something that just completely rocks your foundation and the way that you've always handled things in the past is now... It's going to be different here and and that can be that can be scary okay explain to those listening who may not know this and i am in the background raising my hand because i used to be in this camp too but explain to us like what is therapy and how is it helpful for someone that's going through an incredibly life-altering challenge like this sure so typically you know people seek therapy for a lot of different reasons it doesn't necessarily mean you have a mental health diagnosis. Like, so a lot of times, especially a lot of people that I see, they're just going through something in their life. It's almost like a, what we call like a phase of life issue. And they just need help kind of navigating through that. And that's dealing with the emotions, having someone that's not like a family member or a friend to kind of process stuff with, and then being able to kind of get some reflective feedback that's not someone that is in your everyday kind of circle. Mm -hmm. So especially with like um, anyone that's dealing with cancer or breast cancer specifically, you know, you kind of having that unbiased person to kind of talk about things and then also kind of show how you're really feeling. And sometimes I think a lot of times we don't feel like we can do that because we don't want to upset anyone else or burden them or make them worried or maybe we're angry and we don't you know we try to kind of not show those things so that's a real place that allows you to be able to express that and then also help deal with it whether it's like coping skills and different things so typically most people meet with a therapist or counselor every week every other week whatever the schedule is usually sessions are about an hour at a time and then it's just working on the emotions that are coming up and then the coping skills to help kind of get through whatever issue is going on, basically. I think having that space carved out and available, like to just be able to go and do this unloading and be able to kind of sort through things and then not only having that space, but then also being able to work through and practice some of those strategies mm-hmm. that I had no idea were out there. Mm-hmm. I really mm-hmm. didn't. When should someone diagnosed with breast cancer, in your opinion, when do you think that they should call and seek help or try to set up an appointment with somebody? I think really as soon as they get the diagnosis, they're going to want to talk to someone because that's a lot of processing. It's a lot of information. It's a lot of decision making that you have to make. Like, so I think as soon as they kind of get that diagnosis to try to find someone 
to then go through kind of the journey with you. And I think at the at that point is when really it all kind of starts because you're making decisions, you're dealing with what the doctor just told you. So I think then is really the time to get in with somebody yeah. if, if you can. Yeah. I 100% agree. In fact, everybody that has been referred to me that is newly diagnosed, that's exactly what I'm telling them mm-hmm. is because a lot of people think, oh, I can't handle one more thing. I don't, mm-hmm. I can't handle one more thing. Well, me personally, when um, I was very fortunate that I got into therapy when I did so that I had that space available and it wasn't one more thing. It was to help me with all the other stuff that was going on. And it, it ends up, cancer, this diagnosis, it's, it ends up affecting you not just with your own physical trials, mm-hmm. but it, it kind of threads itself into your entire life, into yeah. your family, dealing with your kids, yeah. you know, conversations that you have with your friends and your spouse and your parents. It's all part mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. And I actually, they gave me a emotional thermometer test when I went <laughs> to the doctor <laughs> at a, what, what did they call it? A key appointment. And at that point, I was so far gone that I was trying so hard to hold myself together. I failed the thermometer. I failed the darn test. Mm-hmm. But then when they called me to be like, so, <laughs> are you interested in any of this stuff? I couldn't, I couldn't respond. Yeah. Like, it was all I could do to not fall to pieces on the phone. And I just remember thinking somewhere in the back of my mind, like, thank God I don't have to to come up with this now. Like, thank God I already yeah. had that space available because if, if this was the first encounter I was having with trying to mm-hmm. figure it out, I it would have been that much harder to do. So, yes, absolutely, I agree with you. 100%, if you're diagnosed, mm-hmm. find that right away. Yeah, because I think and people are already, you have enough doctor's appointments at that point, so it's like well, another appointment, another time you have to carve out in your day. But I think it's, that's, the appointment that's going to keep you to be able to go to the other ones like and yeah. keep you to be able to function outside of those appointments too with yes. your family and, and for, like so and you know now people can do things there's a lot of you know you can go in the office or telehealth like there's a lots of ways to get access to somebody so if that's a problem there's a lot of things that are available now that kind of aren't barriers anymore right. as far as that goes right. so I, I i mean i can see where it's like oh great i'm already going to the doctor every week right. like or whatever and now i have to go to another person but i think that's that should be seen as part of the treatment because right. it's part of the emotional treatment right. that you end up going through. Yeah, yeah. And, and after having talked to as many women as I did, it is a thing. Mm-hmm. So set mm-hmm. yourself up for success at the beginning right. and, and carve out that, that space. Even if you don't think that you need it or you're not sure if you're going to need it, right. I think that it's better like if you, if you go ahead and you set up that first appointment, mm-hmm. well, one, I think that's something that you can control in the beginning yeah. too, where mm-hmm. it's like you feel like, you don't have control over a lot of what's going on. That's something you can actually do. Like, I'm making this appointment. I'm going in. I'm going to meet whoever it is I'm talking to. That way, when life gets really hard, you don't feel like you're having to, like, get to know somebody first. Right. You yeah. already you already had that established. Yeah. Okay. I've also had lots of women tell me that they didn't feel like they had the right to their own emotions. Like, if others had it worse than them, they'd feel guilty for their own negative emotions. What advice do you have for them? Yeah, because a lot of people feel like, well, I shouldn't feel this bad because I, you know, mine's not as severe a case as this other person or, you know, it's only in one breast or what, you know, whatever we kind of rationalize in our own minds so that we are basically invalidating ourselves of how we feel. And so part of that is no matter 
what circumstance you kind of have or what your diagnosis is that you have a right to feel the way you feel because it's your life like it's your experience and so putting that into perspective can be a good thing as far as then realizing you know okay I'm I've got this diagnosis and I'm going to do my treatment and you know kind of being able to I guess have that perspective is beneficial but not to where you're not allowing yourself to really feel what you need to feel so I think it's two parts you've got to be open to obviously the perspective taking which is helpful for everybody but then to allow yourself to feel what you're really feeling and be okay with that because a lot of times we just aren't okay with right. it you know because we don't want to feel that way or don't we don't feel like we should and really anytime you're going through anything like this it's going to be a huge shift in your life which warrants any feelings that come up basically so I think part of it is just giving ourselves the freedom to do that in the first place which I think is a big thing for women not a lot of people Mm -hmm. myself included Mm -hmm. wanted to do that and I like to tell women no matter their diagnosis DCIS all the way up the gamut it is happening to you to your body to your mind to your soul and you're entitled to feel however you feel whenever the hell you feel it right right you can't carve off the emotions you know, like you do the tumor itself, you're going to have to learn to process and work through them. And the ones that you're experiencing are just as just as valid as the person next to you. Okay, I've had women tell me that they really don't want to go to a support group for a very similar reason because they don't want, one, they don't want to be pulled down with, you know, this negative mm-hmm. feelings or gloominess and they just don't want to focus on that or they feel like it's going to hold, trigger that, you know, what we just talked about that, that oh, so-and-so has it worse, I, I can't feel this way. So I've heard a lot of people tell me that they don't want to go to a support group but you and your colleagues have put together a course tell us about how making lemonade is different so because I've heard the same thing and I think even you and I talked about like even a lot of the support groups are in the hospitals where you have to go for everything else so it's like I want to avoid that place as much as possible too so I think part of it is is that and the kind of which I think support groups are great but I think it's it's set up to support. It's not not always set up to help you deal with the emotional part. Right. And that's what I think this group, the Making Lemonade, is trying to do of talk about normalizing the emotions you're experiencing and validating that, which in itself is huge because most people don't do that in the first right. place. And then how can you cope with that while you're in the midst of this other stuff, you know, while you're in the midst of chemo or surgery, you know, all these other things. And then the bigger picture of the control we don't feel in these situations and the anxiety that comes up or depression or things like that because this is something that's happening to us that we don't necessarily have a lot of control over control over our own lives and so then being able to cope with some of that so it's really more of it one part educational as far as here's emotions you may experience here are why we have emotions in the first place and that's okay and that's normal and then here's uh, how to cope with them you know as the second part as right. far as while you're going through these things here's how you can kind of recognize the feelings and then deal with them kind of on a basis right. when they come up too so so it's like that that two-part thing a this mm-hmm. is normal and then b what do you do about right, it right 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 which i think is incredibly empowering so and that's just it's like another not that support groups aren't don't have their place and aren't helpful but this is just different this right. is another yeah. another thing that's available to help give those strategies and tools needed to move forward yeah i think so so okay so in in regards to um, emotions i know that i myself in the beginning my first go to was i wanted to deny them 
I was always the happy, positive person. And the fact that fear and sadness was there, not that I was a stranger to those emotions, just I was a stranger to this level mm-hmm. of fear and sadness. So my go-to was to try to deny them and pretend that it was something different than it was. It's not that bad because. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I realized that they were there to stay, then I thought, okay, it's me or them. I got to fight them. Like happy Joyce is going to win or fear and sadness is going to win. And then finally got to the point where I recognized that it's more about acceptance. And that's, I think that's the healthy way to deal with them, which is a work in progress. But I know that, that that's where it ultimately lies. It's with, with learning to accept that those negative emotions are part of us as well. In regards to those ineffective strategies that people often do, and I know that I did, like all of these, but um, ignoring them, um, using distractions, or trying to numb, staying busy, or um, I got, for the first time in my life, I, I got to see, or at least empathize more with somebody that would turn to wanting to drink, because you want mm-hmm. to just disappear away from it, you want to mm-hmm. numb it. I knew that wasn't going to fix things for me, so I had to turn away from that. But, I mean, those are all just different ways for numbing. So ignoring distractions, numbing, trying to silver lining it, those are all ineffective strategies. Can you help us understand and explain why those are ineffective and why acceptance is more the way to go? Well, because we think logically, oh, if we just don't deal with it or we push it away, it's not going to be there anymore. And really, it's quite the opposite. You know, it's just kind of like that thing you tell someone, okay, don't think of a pink elephant. Don't think of... Well, the first thing they're going to do is think of what you're telling right. them to do. So part of it is, I'm not going to feel sad. I'm not going to feel sad. Well, well now I'm crying. Stop feeling nothing. sad. Right. So part yeah. of it is pushing it away tends to make them even more intense because we're not dealing with them. So then it's like we're going to push them, push them, push them, and bottle them up over here or compartmentalize them. But that box is going to overflow. And... In the moment, that makes sense for a lot of people when they're having these kind of experiences. Like, oh, I'm just going to be really busy. I'm just going to not think about it. I'm going to, like, distract myself. But then it eventually is so overwhelming, they they kind of lose control over it because they've just pushed them down. Right. And so really... And it comes up when you least expect it. Yeah, and it happens. And so then you end up having actually less control over them, which is what we're so afraid of in the first place while we push them down because we don't want to lose that control right but then we end up doing it anyways because they come out because they're going to come out like irregardless and i think that's what people don't realize you know is that they just want them to not come out at all but then i tell people too and i know we talked about this like feelings are on a continuum you can't just have the happy good feelings all the time i've tried folks really have tried without having the other end because if we've never felt sad then we really don't understand how good it feels to be happy either. Right. Because if we're just happy all the time, that's like our baseline. Right. right? And so then it's like, oh, well, this is normal. But that's why it's a continuum, why you feel both ends of them. Yeah. And so if we don't allow ourselves to do that, then we're also not being genuine in our with ourselves and then our own relationships too. Right. So I think going back to what you said earlier, like part of it is acceptance and, and accepting that, okay, I'm feeling this way and it's okay I feel this way and then I can start to deal with it, that emotion. Right. Instead of, no, I don't feel sad, I don't feel sad, I'm going to be busy, I'm going to do this and and then it kind of comes yeah. up anyway. So. And, and it definitely did that for me several mm-hmm. times because, mm-hmm. I, like I said, I tried all those tactics and they didn't work. Right, right, yeah, yeah. So in all stages of life, women that are younger and have kids at mm-hmm. home and women that are older and have grandkids... 
it doesn't matter the stage of life when they're diagnosed. I think when it comes to dealing with your family and your friends, communication is really huge. And you are a marriage and family therapist, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which has been incredibly helpful because as I said before, all of the stuff that becomes an issue centered around Mm -hmm. cancer kind of leaks out into all the other aspects of your life. And so I wanted to talk and and ask you in regards to those women that have children Mm -hmm. at home and you know, they can vary in age, either young children or older, whatever. What thoughts do you have about how they can explain what's happening to mom. Mm-hmm. Like, how do they handle that with their kids? Yeah. Yeah, and I think that depending on the age, right, it's going to depend on what they understand and stuff. And there's a couple, like, there's some literature out there and some books, because unfortunately, a lot of kids have heard of cancer, mm-hmm. maybe not specifically breast cancer, but at some point in, in elementary school, they probably they have come, heard of yeah. cancer. So. You kind of explain it to them in an age-appropriate way that you're going to the doctor, you know, and especially, like, I know we talked about, like, after surgery, this is what it's going to look like because mm-hmm. some of that can be scary for them. Right. And then kind of explaining, like, I'm working with the doctors, I'm taking my medicine, that kind of stuff. So I think part of it is having to be age-appropriate. And then you want to reassure them because that's right. what we want to do as moms is that everything's going to be okay so you want to give them that but also not where it's like false right hope right. that you're going to live forever which you is want, not yeah anything you want to but. be authentic but at right. a can friendly age appropriate right. level yeah. whatever that is for them right yeah and i know yeah. like for me mine were mine were much littler mm-hmm. and in a previous episode i talked about how i talked to my girls but for those that didn't get to hear that one i basically told them that you know mom had a boo-boo and I had to go to the doctor to have them take care of it because it was the kind that doctors needed to fix. And they seemed to be fine with that. And then also, eventually, when I had to have chemo, I was going to lose my hair and everything. It was going to be a little bit more up in your face of what was happening to me. So I had to throw on the next layer of explanation. I explained to them you know, the name of the boo-boo and why it was. And then like, this is happening to me, but these are the steps that I'm Mm -hmm. taking to try to make it better. And then another piece to this that I think... I think was helpful for my girls, and I know it helped me because I'm a control freak, but um, is giving them these little pieces of things that they can have control over in the process, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. because because it is scary, and they feel like something's happening to their mom, and right. they can't stop it, and what yeah. are they going to do? Well, I know, like, Sage, she was my, she was in charge of picking out my hats every day, like, mm-hmm. that was her good, that was her job, yeah. and that gave her a... Mm-hmm. a sense of control that was something that she could do I mean right, I know right, it seems right. small and silly but to her it was something that she could take ownership of and then when I had to do um this breathing treatment after surgery Leona they and Sage they were both my cheerleaders and Leona mm-hmm. would put stickers on it and they'd come by go mommy go like that was something that they did yeah to take ownership of something that I mean they're small, so you don't think, oh, this is, she's got control over my right. cancer, but it's something that she can cont- take control over within yeah. her life of how it's affecting her. Yeah, and they feel like they can help, and that's what yeah. they want to do. I mean, right. a part, you know, so I think, I, I think, yeah, giving them small things to, to do like that can be helpful. Explaining, you know, kind of what you talked about, like big physical changes that they can see, because they're not, not going right. to understand necessarily all the inside part, right. but okay, I'm, I'm going to be losing my hair. Like, these are right. things so that you can kind of... A little of it is pre- preparation, too, right. because they're just as scared with the unknown. Or they may have heard someone has died of cancer. And then right. so explaining that to them, too, because there's lots of different kinds of... Ca- I mean, whatever. Right. And so part of it is, I think, 
educating them on that age appropriate level because sometimes we don't we don't want to tell them at right, all right. or we don't tell them enough and kids I think when we start to see them really kind of get scared it's because they don't know right not saying you have to be like you know to go the into the real to, world right. <laughs> super yeah. super in-depth detail but to but, say I'm gonna have surgery like right. expect these it's not gonna look like normal or my hair you know yeah. come so much, especially the physical changes because that's yeah. what they're gonna notice the most and that just helps them feel more prepared for what's coming and that's right. what a lot of times kids get anxious or things about because they just don't know right and so I think communicate like communicating to them those things is going to be helpful for everybody you know in the long run too and for those that don't know where to start I mean we keep talking about like at a, at a kid-friendly age-appropriate level which there is a spectrum because it depends mm-hmm. on how how little your kids are one thing that I found was helpful was actually asking them hey yeah. um did I tell you the name of my boo-boo no okay well it's called this have you mm-hmm. heard of what cancer is before and then kind of seeing what, what do you know yeah. like what yeah. is what is the starting point mm-hmm. so that I knew how to better Go address it there. yeah I think that's a great idea yeah okay so continuing on with um communication but switching it from the child aspect and talking more about the marital stress that's a thing too we've heard that something like this can make or break marriages when those emotions are really high and things are tense what should couples remember in order to stay connected here I think that a big piece is communication too and then expectations because you're making some decisions and and I think keeping in mind like their decisions that are affecting you and your body obviously but they do indirectly affect person you're married to and your kids and other people and so I think part of it is communicating and communicating effectively with those expectations and then also allowing a level of vulnerability between you and your spouse too because I think without that then it doesn't necessarily feel like we're being genuine in this together type thing yeah and so I think a lot of times especially as moms and wives and things like that we try to put on this brave face you know we try to not let that because we want to take care of everyone else yeah and so I think part of it is allowing a little bit of that other person to take care of us and then also for us to be vulnerable in those moments to share that with them because I think that's what's going to keep us connected instead of building a wall up because now I'm not really sharing that I'm freaking out on the inside right but to be able to kind of connect in that way. And then I think, too, is having time, if you can, in the midst of everything else, with just you and your spouse, whether that's you guys spending time together and, and talking about what's going on, and then also having times where you don't talk about it. Like, you right. don't talk about cancer all the time because right. then it does consume your relationship and things like that. And I think then also talking about changes physically that are going to happen for you and how that affects everything and so I think keeping open and honest and vulnerable communication throughout the experience is what's going to help really right and I think I think that is definitely key is is opening up that layer of of vulnerability which is which is different it's not that you haven't been vulnerable with your spouse before but this is somehow different like you said we we kind of try to, um, I know I talked to a lot of women and they say that their go-to thing, and this was me, mm-hmm. I wanted to take care of everybody else. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be there and, and help and provide and how come I'm the one that's mm-hmm. not able to do that now? Like I didn't want all that attention on me because I wanted to be the one that was helping. So having that layer of vulnerability, I think is huge. And mm-hmm. I mean, I just talked to somebody the other day that's recently been diagnosed and she mentioned a very similar thing about 
not wanting to to admit that help is nice mm-hmm. like because she's always the one that's doing it right, not yeah. receiving it and I think allowing yourself to be human and receive it and to be vulnerable with those ones mm-hmm. with those that are close to you is important and then also this is something that I kind of came to the realization of as well in regards to marriage is that recognizing also that they are going through their mm-hmm. own moment of mm-hmm. processing this like I know my husband um, we didn't necessarily see eye to eye in the beginning on things, and that created a little bit of friction, but it wasn't because he didn't love me, and it wasn't because he didn't mm-hmm. want the best for me. It's because he was processing something in his own mind, in his own way, mm-hmm. and even though I'm processing it differently, like uh, we have to come to the table together, him being vulnerable and yeah. open and me being vulnerable and open, but then also recognizing that when we're processing mm-hmm. it, we're coming about it in our own minds as well. Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, and that's just like any communication issues you had before this are probably going to just be amplified right. by now being under stress. Right. right. Like by having this situation. And so you have to keep that in mind. And I think especially if you're the one that has the diagnosis, seeing anything like anyone other else's yes. perspective, which which was very hard for me right. to do right. because I felt like I was drowning and everything that was coming my mm-hmm. way it was very hard for me to take myself out of my own right. mind yeah. Yeah. And, and to try to, to see it from another perspective. But I think recognizing that piece of it is, mm-hmm. is going yeah. be going to be important. Yeah, definitely. So continuing on talking about um, marriage and marital stress, one thing that has come up a lot when talking to other women is the concern with intimacy. Mm-hmm. And I know that whenever I talked to Brian, and Brian told me I could talk about this, but I know when I go to talk about intimacy, I just get really embarrassed and I turn a thousand shades of red. But I know that this is a big ticket item for so many women out there for so many different reasons. So their entry points are different. Mm-hmm. Like some it's because their body image has changed and or that they have loss of sensation of their breasts if they've had a mastectomy or medicine can cause mm-hmm. them to go into early menopause, which has its own, mm-hmm. you know, bucket of fun with that. And then all of these changes kind of helps to feed your guilt, mm-hmm. you know, being less of who you are more of your identity is getting swiped away from cancer. In regards to intimacy, what can women do here? Come down to communication again? Yeah, because I think there it's so many different things that are going to come up depending on what treatment you have to, you know, what how it goes as far as the person that's diagnosed. So I think part of it is communicating with the other person, like, okay, this isn't going to work anymore, this is, like... Because if we just don't talk about it and we're both unsatisfied or we're both feeling bad about it, then that's just going to create that much more, more issues friction, between yeah. us. Yeah. So I think talking about it and and saying, like, it's okay that I don't maybe feel the same way I used to because okay. I went through this. Right. like, Or I can figure out the new kind of normal between us or whatever. And we can do that together. But we have to communicate about it and we have to talk about it and figure out what that looks like. And so a lot of people... It, regardless of breast cancer diagnosis or not, don't talk about intimacy or anything like that with their partner, surprisingly, right. which, in the first place. So, which is the one person you should be able to talk about. Right. So then when this happens and things change and you're still not talking about it, but now you just you have to talk about it, I think, right. and that's the biggest thing. So. And I think talking about, talking about like the physical aspect of mm-hmm. it, but also that emotional piece to it, right. which is really surprising to me. Mm-hmm. When I mean, because Brian and I are pretty open about having those conversations, but the emotional conversations mm-hmm. was a little bit of a surprise to me because what I had 
all built up in my head a, a particular way because mm. of the way like, we kind of talked a minute ago about you know my perspective how it's affecting me but I didn't I didn't even think that in his head it's built up a completely different right. way you know yeah. and when we talked about it, it was actually it was actually quite funny because where I think this is just a big deal he's just like dude it's fine well, mm. you know whatever and to each his own with how they you know how they handle it and I think that's another thing that's important to remember mm. here is that every couples dynamics are different and their entry points are different and I think you even said too like where you were before is going to be you know this amplified so bottom line coming down to communication both about this physical part and then also about this emotional piece as well yeah and I think knowing that it's okay to have those conversations it's okay for things to be different it's okay that you're not like that's not your number one priority right now right like that's okay yeah, and I and I think it's important for them to know that even though that might not be something that's that's going to be at the top of your priority mm-hmm. list right now, it doesn't mean that it's not coming back. Mm-hmm. It it will get better. You will find your new normal. Right. Yeah. So okay, so communication is is key, kind of across the board, mm-hmm. um, with with your family, with your marriage, with with your friends. But we've all had people tell us things like. Uh, don't do anything drastic. Are you sure you want to do this? Which kind of gets a seed of doubt in your mind. Or the complete opposite where people say, oh, I knew somebody, so-and-so down the street, or my aunt had such and such. Oh, oh, they died from it. Like, and, mm. and, and then hearing those kind of comments that, you know, the, yeah. are you sure you want to do this? And then, oh, well, good luck with that. Didn't work out so well for them. Like, even though communication is absolutely essential what do you do like how do you protect yourself emotionally from some of those well-meant but really unhelpful comments well I think keeping in mind that most people are trying to figure out what to say to be helpful and like uplifting they just don't know how to do that necessarily or they're trying to relate or something you know like somehow and so part of that is keeping that in perspective but then also knowing like there's exceptions to everything. There's always this case that goes this way that doesn't right. like. So you have to really focus on you and your own health because right. that it just depends on you right. and what you feel like at the end of the day is going to be the best decision for you. So taking a deep, take a deep yeah. breath and right. recognize that they're they're meaning well and then just focus on your own right right situation. Yeah yeah because yeah. we can get caught up in. Well, this person said this and this, and I'm, I'm constantly second-guessing myself. But at the end of the day, like, you're the one that has to live with whatever decision you make for whatever, like, course of treatment. So I think you have to be okay within that decision, whether that's you've done your research, you've asked people that you value their opinion, you know, whatever right. it is. So, and then knowing that people also say things that they're just trying to be hopeful and right. they don't sometimes it doesn't always come across right. that way or yes there may be this one person that did this one time but realistically the majority may be different right so right and your story is your story mm-hmm. it's not your neighbor's story right and it's not your aunt's story it's mm-hmm. your story and and it'll be written in its own way so okay so we talked a little bit about these emotions that start to rise Fear, anger, shame, grief, Mm -hmm. because there's a sense of loss of yourself. Those emotions, it's not that we haven't felt them before in our life, but it's like after a diagnosis like this, they get put on steroids, and they're incredibly overwhelming. How can someone navigate through that? Well, I think part of it is 
so like we talked about before, like accepting that you're having these feelings and then looking at what's happening when they're coming up. So like, what, what am I so afraid of? Like, what is it that is happening that I'm sad about? You know, kind of those specific things. Because a lot of times it's things that we can't control or the loss of something, mm-hmm. um, you know, the loss of our life pre-cancer this thing we can't control, like I can do everything the doctors tell me and do all this stuff and it still come back, you know, like yeah. all these things that we can't control. So part of it is recognizing the feeling, first of all, and accepting it. And then kind of analyzing a little bit as far as what's happening of, of why it's coming up, you right. know, what's triggering necessarily those things. Because right. then that's how we can start to say, okay, it's set, you know, I'm fearful of this because of that. And that makes sense. Like, I should be afraid of dying because I have this diagnosis. Or I should be afraid of going to surgery. You know, I should be afraid of these things. And then it kind of helps us then deal being able to cope with it. Because then we know Mm -hmm. we can pinpoint a little bit of what's, you know, kind of triggering and causing some of those things too. So, Right. Yeah. And then I think in regards to, like, that first piece that you talked about, about the um, acceptance, is... It's not about um, it's not about pretending that it's not there. It's mm-hmm. not about okay, well, it's gonna be here, and so now I have to deal with it. And yeah. dealing with it doesn't mean like what I tried to do originally, like fighting it off. It means it just means exactly what you said, accepting it. And I like the analogy of the cookie dough. Like I know I've said this before, like the raw egg is nasty. Mm-hmm. And I'm not just that raw egg, but I'm also not those sweet, yummy, delicious mm-hmm. chocolate chips either. Right. I am the whole batter. I am the good and the bad, and it all folded into Together. one. Yeah. And and that's that level of acceptance is recognizing that, um, I think you have said this a thousand times, that it's part of you, but it doesn't define you. Right, right, right. I think that's really important for people to remember. Mm-hmm. Like, that egg might be part of the batter, but it's not what you're eating. You're eating right. cookie dough. You're not eating the egg. You're eating that whole... Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's why we push away some of these feelings because we feel like they're going to overwhelm us and we can't control them or we're going to be stuck in that place. And I think part of that is then remembering that just because you have these negative emotions or moments of these negative things doesn't mean that's your whole story. Like that's all there is, you know. And I think it's hard to see when we get in those moments, but to kind of remember that that that's just a piece of the journey that you're kind of going so through. So part of your so, story. Yeah. It's not a part that you're particularly liking at the moment, but right. it's not the whole story. And and also remembering that that those emotions that you're experiencing, turning and, and acknowledging their existence does not mean that you're weak either. Mm-hmm. I know I, I used to think that, but it's not. It just means that you're human. And right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, after treatment, a lot of times this is where people will feel like they're trapped because they think, okay, well, I was entitled to feel that during treatment, but afterwards, now there's all this guilt. It could be, you know, survivor's guilt. Mm-hmm. It could be guilt for having been a burden along the way. It could be guilt for feeling anything less than happy. I made it through. I should be nothing but mm-hmm. happy right now. But yet the truth of the matter is when you do reach that, that point and you're done with your treatment that emotional piece isn't necessarily completely healed either. What do you want to add or what do you think women should remember in the aftermath? So, I mean, I know you and I talked about this a lot. Like, especially when you first get the diagnosis, you're kind of in fight or flight, 
right? So your um, automatic response is, okay, what are the next steps I need to do to basically live? And then you handle those. And sometimes that takes a while, sometimes, you know, whatever the course may be. And then I feel like then the emotional piece is kind of like the aftermath, the wave, the ripple effect of that because you're stuck in this like survival mode for a little while. And then here comes the emotional piece. And a lot of times that comes after you've actually done the treatment and everything because you're now dealing with it. I know that's when it slammed mm-hmm. me pretty hard. And mm-hmm. I and that's the part that I was not anticipating at all either. I mean, I wasn't I wasn't really expecting any of it to be as difficult as it was. Surprise. But um but I definitely wasn't expecting it to be there at the end. And there it was. And and when I talk to a lot of women, that is also a common thing mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. It's not I mean, and that's that's kind of one of the things I'm trying to do is like rip off that band-aid of what what this emotional piece to recovery is. Yeah. Like it is its own set of steps and they might not be completely paralleling those physical right. steps yeah. like it can it can happen afterwards as well and that's okay because I think it ends up being a little bit behind because your brain and your just feelings are in that like survival mode for those first you know however long to get to that point and then it's like okay now I can deal with the bigger things of the some of the more emotional stuff right and I think that's why it kind of comes after but it's because you then you can shift because now I know I'm have it out of me or whatever right. the case may be. I've made it through this you know, part. I made it through this part. Yeah. But then it's like, oh, but now here's all these feelings, <laughs> you know, that I didn't deal with before. So, well, and kind of piggybacking on that a little bit, putting this into perspective, um, me personally, I had a few moments where I kind of just get stuck in this loop mm-hmm. that would would haunt me and for me it was because I was an idiot and I tried to like soak in the soak in this operating room so I looked around don't do that folks that's a very bad idea but um I did and so I can remember like things will trigger me and I will get put back to that place and I will remember everything that was there and then I know that we talked about a shift and having a shift in perspective and that is like freaking magical because for me it became it's not about what I had happened to me or what I had to endure as much as it was what I could have happened to me because of where we are now with our science and our technology mm-hmm. and then taking a moment to pause and think, okay, well, how far can we go yeah. if we continue to push forward? And it was just this tiny little little shift. And I know people are going to hit their own roadblocks, their own moments, whatever they are, where they feel those inescapable emotions, when they feel stuck. What do you what do you mean in therapy when you say reframe it? Like what is So you're you're kind of trying to shift a little bit of that perspective and that thinking. So that's what kind of reframing is, like a shift in, you know, how you're seeing something. So a lot of times we see these emotions as weakness or negative or whatever, something like negative usually in our life. And so shifting it a little bit to Um, well, you're experiencing fear because of some, you know, like basically just kind of looking at it from another angle, like, and, and that angle might not necessarily necessarily be more positive, but it can be more helpful in coping with whatever you're dealing with. So, and I think the important thing to remember too, as well, is that it's not, it's not going to erase that. Right. It's not going to take away that moment of your life. You're still dealing with the same thing. You're just looking at it a little differently. A little bit of a different lens. And what I tell people too is it's not always like, okay, we're going to have this shift and now it's like rainbows and butterflies and everything's positive because that doesn't mean that's not the case either because what happened to you is not a good thing. Like, and these emotions are not good feelings. It's, but shifting it to see a different 
purpose or a different light that can be more helpful for you in coping with it. Not necessarily just, oh, it's all going to be fine and bury our head under the sand again. It's just being able to work through them differently than before. Right. So, so speaking traumatic event, I think that piece, that part of the journey that can affect people, for me, it was the operating room. For the next person, mm-hmm. it's going to be something different. Like, that, like it, I mean, they're going to be different from one person right, to the next. Right, right. Their entry points are different. I did speak with somebody recently, and she told me that, that the traumatic moment for her is in the operating room because she, she mm-hmm. focused on that one person yeah. and didn't let the rest of the room drown in the darkness. But her traumatic moment was... When she got the phone call, mm-hmm. you have cancer. And the question that, that I thought she asked me, and I thought it was a good one, was what do you do when you get news that you just can't seem to bear? Like mm-hmm. in those next few moments, like we know that we need to process through and stuff, but in that moment when like your world mm-hmm. starts to just fall around you, what do you do immediately in that moment? Well, it depends because we're getting information that's basically life-changing, but then at the same time, a lot of times what's happening is then we have to process it and then listen to what the doctor is saying for information that's supposed to help us in that. You know, like, hey, you have this, and here's what I need you to do. And, you need, you know, and that's, right. that's like, how can I shift from you've just told me I have cancer to now I have to pay attention to right, what right. you're saying. My world is falling apart, and I'm now down on the floor. So I can, can, Thanks for punching me. Right, so I can fight cancer. Like, right. So it's a big shift. So I think part of it is is staying present in the moment and then looking at, okay, like, what have I just been told? What is that right. piece of information? And how is that affecting me? And then allowing yourself to feel whatever that feeling is. Grief, set all those things for right. that initial thing. And then shifting to, okay, so what are my next steps? Right. Which is what the doctor will be telling right. you. And I tell people a lot of times, especially like if you're going in and you're getting that diagnosis or talking to the doctor, you need to have somebody else there that yeah. can be more of the information person yeah. while you're processing what the crap they just said to you anyways. And I tell people to come in with a list of questions too, right, which yeah. can help them exactly. when fear is trying to take over the reins. Mm-hmm. If you have a list of questions in front of you and fear starts to go but but right. da, 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 down yeah. this road, you can go, okay, wait, back to question number two. Right, right, Check right. them off as you go. That way you can still yeah. try to get that And I think that's because you get that call, you're in that moment, you probably don't hear half the things they say after that basically, right? right? And so then I think people are maybe not afraid, but afraid to ask questions or follow up or really get all the information. We're just like, oh, the doctor told me to do this. This is what I'm going to do, you know, kind of thing, which is, you know, part of it. But I think in order for you to feel better and in more control, the more kind of information or research, awareness, whatever that you have, the more informed decision you can make too. And so I think that's part of it is making those questions, doing your own research. If you want to ask certain people that you Mm -hmm. value their opinion, talking it over with your spouse, all those things is kind of that second the second layer, you right. know, to handle so it emotionally. So you, you get news that, like, you just think is going to break you, that you just can't mm-hmm. bear. Then take a deep breath, allow yourself, step one, feel those emotions. And know, I know you've told me this before, they're not going to last forever. Right. Like, let yourself feel those emotions. Mm-hmm. They're not going to take over you. Just sit in that ache yeah. for a minute. Yeah. And then that second layer that you just said, okay, what can I do now? Right. What can right. I have control over? Right. Yeah. 
So, okay, so in regards to like when triggers hit you and how to handle them, I know that grounding was something that was really helpful. Mm-hmm. Can you help us understand what, what is that? So a lot of times, in a lot of stuff that we've talked about, and this is in the group too, is just being present in the moment, like mindfulness, because a lot of times what happens, so even in the moment we just talked about, you hear this is happening, we go to the worst scenario, like, oh, we're, we're dying, you know, right. tomorrow or something. Like, But staying present in the moment and staying aware with what is presented in front of you. Right. And that's what you can, can deal with and can control. We oftentimes worry about things that, A, may never happen to us ever, or B, that we have really no control over either. Right. And so part of that is using... I'm really good at both. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> most people do that. But part of then is using that energy, okay... I'm in this moment. This is what I'm. Do- this is what is presented in front of me, and here's what I can do about it. And so grounding really helps you to stay present in that moment. So I know a lot of times, and we've even talked about this. You know, going to the doctor or things like that. And there's some research on, you know, just like PTSD-like symptoms that mm-hmm. a lot of cancer survivors have because of a surgery. Because you know, because right. of any of these things, like going to the doctor can be very triggering in itself. Oh, it is for me, of, for sure. Yeah, Don't want to get out of the darn car. Right, of everything else that's happened. So I think part of it is grounding, which is helping you stay present in the moment. And so that's really you're trying to observe what's around you, whether that's a smell, whether that's a sight, whether that's a person, a noise. Like you kind of do the physical, like something you could touch, like all your senses. senses. Right. Yeah. And then you're able to stay present in that moment instead of drifting to the past experience or a future one right. that's negative, you know, something like that. And that's just helping you stay in that moment and dealing with what you have to do in right. that moment too. And I know like for me, it would definitely, it would definitely hit whenever I go to the doctor. Like that was my, mm-hmm. my big trigger. I didn't want to get out of the darn car because my mind would go to either the past or to the future of the right. what ifs. And so we did talk about grounding and you know, the, what do you see? What do you feel? What do you hear? And then you also said this too, which I thought was great, was recognizing that you might be in the same place, but mm-hmm. you're in a different space and time. Right, right, right. And when you're in that moment, it's going to be hard mm-hmm. to try to stay present. Like that is right. a task in and of itself, but it is very helpful. Yeah. It's very helpful. Well, yeah, because I think, right, you're going back to the same doctor that told you you had cancer or that you had surgery or what, you know, like it's a lot of the same places. Right. But you might be there for a different reason. You could be in that same room that they originally told you the news, but you're there because your follow-up appointment and you're done. You know, I mean, right. so part of it is is staying in that moment with what's going on. And a lot of the exterior things can be triggering, but knowing like, okay, no, I'm here a year later because right. I'm now having the conversation with my doctor about my, you know, that I'm done with chemo or radio, you know, whatever right. it is. And so I think part of it is, is really staying present, which yeah. is very hard. It is hard. But will help you not to have some of that exterior noise. Right, you know? right. And, and it'll allow you to not go down the rabbit hole of what right. if, what if, what right, if, what right, if. Right, right, yeah. So you talked a lot about control. I know I talk about control all the time because I'm a control freak. But <laughs> and the, there is a lot of this feeling of loss of control mm-hmm. when something like this hits your life. It's definitely a thing. I know that you told us before that... Great quote here. You would say, um, let go of the things that you can't control and focus on the ones Mm -hmm. that you can, which Mm -hmm. I think is really helpful. It's like those little things. Do you remember that metaphor you gave about the roller coaster? Part of the roller coaster is we're all all on this roller coaster, right? Kind of life in itself. And if you ever ridden a roller coaster, you notice people do it kind of one of two ways. White knuckling it, like closing their eyes, possibly afraid, but they're on the ride, you know, and they're there. But they're a fear-based kind of response, right. right, to the roller coaster. Versus you have other people 
that they're screaming and their hands are up. They're like enjoying the ups mm-hmm. and down of whatever is coming. They're and both so, on the Rhine. Yeah. And so, and that's kind of right. Like how life is, whether it's breast cancer or something else or another traumatic event, life is a roller coaster. There's lots of ups and downs and mm-hmm. it's going to be different for each person, but that's just part of the whole ride. Like this breast mm-hmm. cancer peace is just part of that ride it's not your whole existence right and you we can choose how we want to handle the ride we can white knuckle it and close our eyes and just kind of grin and or scream maybe or we can really enjoy it for what it is not that you're going to enjoy like breast cancer but that you can let go of that open to the the situations that come with it or kind of seeing it from a different perspective. And I think versus kind of being able to can try to control everything and hold on to it so tightly that then you end up even more frustrated at yourself right. and everything. And more tense. It. Yeah, because yeah. you can't, because that's just not realistic. And so I think part of that is learning to let go of some of those things and controlling what you can control. And so you're still feeling empowered, but also not weighed down by the things that you can't control. Right. Speaking of... Of metaphors because that's my language and I like them. I remember talking about how you know sometimes when something like this happens, you mm-hmm. feel like you're drowning. You feel like you're in over your head. Your arms and your legs are moving vigorously, trying to keep your head above water. The current is against you. It is not your friend, and you feel like at any moment you're just going to sink and go under. And I tell people this metaphor all the time because you gave like the most genius advice here. You said, well, in those moments, like what's wrong with rolling over onto your back and floating? Mm -hmm. And I love that metaphor so much because that's the very first thing that you teach your kids when they're learning how to swim. Mm -hmm. You get in over your head, you get tired. What do you do? You roll onto your back and you catch your breath. And I like that metaphor also because it doesn't mean that the swim is over. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that you're done. It doesn't mean that you're giving up and it doesn't, it certainly doesn't mean that you're weak. It just means that you're taking a moment, just that one moment Mm -hmm. to breathe, to catch your breath. And it took me, it took me a little while to get that um, mm-hmm. out of the metaphor and to go, okay, well, so floating is helpful when you're about ready to drown, but what does that look like? What does that look like in everyday life here? So I think the idea of floating, right, because you can only tread water so long, like anybody. So part of floating is like just taking those moments to yourself, whether in, in kind of going back to what we said before, as far as being present in the moment, you know, letting other people help you or taking some time for yourself calling a friend, having a cup of coffee, just having some time to yourself, listening to music, or I know we talked about like reading some different things Mm -hmm. or, you know, journaling, like having something that you're doing for yourself that is just whether it's time or you're reaching out for help that's allowing you to kind of just be. Right. And I think that's the biggest part. And it's not about strategizing and coming up with a a plan at that moment in time. It's not, Mm -hmm. it's not about okay, action-oriented, got to do X, Y, and Z. It's about just breathing, just Mm -hmm. being. Right, right, right. Yeah, being in the moment, being present, which I think is really hard for everybody anyways, but especially this, when it feels like you need need actions to make it to the future, which is part of it, I think you do, but you can't just do that all the time. Like, you have to be in the moment and be able to relax some, whether that's, you know, like there's a lot of meditation apps out there you know there's different things but whether it's 10 minutes you know it doesn't have to be like a whole day but to give yourself that time and space to just be which is gonna 
allow you to rest. Right. Emotionally. And, and it doesn't mean you're done. It right. means that you're having a moment, catching your breath, and then you can turn around and start right. swimming It's just a moment in, in time. It's not the whole, you know, you're not right. floating the whole time. What is one of the biggest take-home points that you want women to know? Knowing that it's okay. Because I feel like that's one of the biggest barriers for people getting any kind of help, but especially right. even dealing with breast cancer, is knowing that you're going to have some physical pain, there's physical changes, but there's an emotional piece to this right. too. And you're not the only one, and it's okay to talk about it. Right. Because a lot of times, I've talked to several women, once they know like this is a thing, it kind of really opens the door for a lot of other stuff. But right. it's like not knowing that is such a barrier for them getting any help or them moving right. anywhere emotionally they just feel so stuck right. or so hard on themselves. And so right. I think, if anything, people realizing, like, it's okay to have these things, it's normal, you're not the only one, and let's talk it's about a, it. It's a thing. Is, is half thing. the battle. Right. Because once we can talk about it, we can figure stuff out. It's getting to that point, which is so hard for people, I think, too. Right. Know that it's okay to not be okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's okay to ask for help. That doesn't make you weak either. And I think we've already said before, those emotions, like when you feel right. that, that doesn't make you weak. Right, yeah. And I think, too, dealing with something like this in your life, especially, you know, I mean, typically women, typically women who take care of other people, who are the ones that are taking care of everyone else, it feels very guilty to take care of ourselves. But to knowing that that's okay and that we can let other people help us. It's human. And, right. And that we can feel these other feelings. And so I think part of it is just that acceptance and knowing that it's okay is like half the battle right. of them moving towards healing. Know, the healing process. Right? right. Yeah. Okay. So I have, um, I have two more questions for you. First of all, for those that are local, for those that are in this uh, coastal Georgia, greater Savannah area, if they are listening to this and they're like, okay, well, I need to, I need to do that. I need to, I need to reach out. I need to make a call. How can they get in contact with you and or the Making Lemonade? So all the information is going to be on our website, which is www.buildingblocks.solutions. And it has our phone number. People can email us that way, um, anything like that. And we have we have the information on our website, too. They can go there, um, which mm-hmm. is the www.togetherweweather.org. You can contact there. What about for women that aren't local? What tips do you have for them for finding a therapist? So I think looking in your local there's some sometimes there's like local directories psychology today is a website that's a directory that you can look up by zip code and by specialization so you can filter stuff out asking maybe a lot of times there'll be um social workers that work at the hospitals and they may have some people that they would know so i think kind of finding someone in your area that would be a good fit for you and they might not necessarily like advertise they treat breast cancer patients that's not necessarily like a specific specific thing but that i think the biggest thing is that you feel comfortable with them like you find somebody that you're comfortable with that you feel like is a good match because a lot of stuff what they're talking about is emotional stuff i think that's that's a good point that you put on there right there is that it doesn't necessarily have to say in big bold letters like specializes in breast cancer you know follow-up emotional care like but just finding somebody like even you know, marriage, family, and yeah. therapist mm-hmm. is fine too because mm-hmm. it, it, like we said before, it kind of goes into all those other aspects right. of your life. Yeah, definitely. 
So somebody else wanted me to ask this, and I think this is a good question for people that are not all that familiar with therapy, uh-huh. but what do all the letters behind the names mean? <laughs> <laughs> so mine is, well, they, it's just any kind of certification you have, they put letters. So like LMFT is what's mine. So that's licensed marriage and family therapist. Okay. So then a lot of times you'll also see somebody is like an MS mm-hmm. or a PhD. So that's like their degree, right. or whatever that is that they may have gotten. Most of them will be MS or MA, or then you have the PhD. And then the L and then letters to follow is their license. So mine's licensed marriage and family therapist. Gotcha. And then you'll see some that are LPC, which is licensed professional counselor. Okay. Um, so it's so is that so does that really weigh in when they're looking, or is it just best to go to the um, psychology today and yeah, just go and find someone. I think that's. Be- I mean, you want someone licensed, I think right. for sure, right. um, and then you want to find a good fit. Like really professional. We can kind of all do the same thing. It's just different like regulations as right. far as licensing, and most of the time they're not too different. A little bit different as far as schooling goes too, but it's not. I think the biggest piece is. Fit, like right. finding a good fit. And if they're not a good fit, it's okay to go someplace else. Right. Or, yes. I mean, you can even ask them too. Like, right. okay, this is my, I had a, a friend who was looking for somebody and she called and said, hey, this is what I'm going through. Is this something that you're right. able to help me yeah. with? And just yeah. ask that question. Right. And that's the one thing I like about psychology today. That's why I mentioned it is because usually you have a picture and they give like a couple of paragraphs as far as a bio. So you can kind of understand them. Look at their website if they have a website and see, you know, maybe they have reviews. And I mean, a lot of us don't do reviews because that kind of breaks confidentiality. But, you know, or you can ask around if you know. Like, so I think part of it is because, you know, I don't don't necessarily specialize in this. It just kind of happens. Right. (laughs) But it's still applicable. I mean, in so right. many and ways. Right, I think it's anybody that, because as therapists and counselors, we're taught with how to deal with emotions. Right. What kind of we're more comfortable with, I think, with certain life things that come up that deal with emotions. Right. You know, versus kids, adults, whatever. But I think, but part of it is someone that can work with you on dealing with those emotions and really that provides a safe, accepting place. And right. that's the biggest thing. Right. Too. So I think that's why I said, like, Fit is so important because yeah. if you don't feel comfortable, it's not really going to go very far. Anyway, right. So. Exactly. And there's nothing wrong. I'll say that again. There's nothing wrong as if if you do call somebody and there mm-hmm. isn't a good fit, mm-hmm. not giving up on the whole idea, but finding a better right. fit for yeah, you. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I think this is going to be very helpful for a lot of women out there. Really appreciate having you. You're so. welcome. Thank you. And thank you all out there for listening and for joining us here today. For more information, please visit our online breast cancer resource center at www.togetherweweather.org. You can click on resources and you'll see the contact information for Ashley at Building Blocks Family Counseling there, as well as their class on making lemonade. So check it out, give them a call and allow yourself the opportunity to heal emotionally. I'm looking forward to speaking with you all again soon. Until then, remember that together we weather this storm. You are never alone.